It's been 60 years since the Beatles had their first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. I'm KCSB's Kelly DeRock interviewing Peter Bai and Dennis Mitchell about the night of celebration ahead in Santa Barbara to mark the occasion on February 9th at the Marjorie Luke Theater. I'm Peter Bai, uh, Bai and Bai Productions, a uh, longtime Carpinteria resident and longtime radio DJ in Santa Barbara, now retired from radio somewhat. Amazing. You don't ever really retire from no. radio, and you should know that. <laughs> and I'm uh, Dennis Mitchell. I host uh, Breakfast with the Beatles, an internationally syndicated version that's on 65 radio stations. Um, and uh, I also own Carpinteria Valley Radio, which is the town's community radio station at CarpinteriaValleyRadio.com. And the, the two uh, factions merged recently when I brought my Breakfast with the Beatles show onto that radio station, which is now its exclusive South Coast home. Wow, that's super cool. Um, I'm Kelly. It's very nice to meet you and um, speak with you about this. So obviously this event is the 60 years of Beatlemania. And I just had a few questions just about some Beatles history and then kind of segueing into the actual details of the event. So um, my first question is, how was the craze for the Beatles or Beatlemania different from any other audience before? And how would that evolve throughout the decade? A lot of people have referred to it as a perfect storm uh, because Elvis Presley had been shuffled off to the military and had the nation was still deep in grieving over the death of uh, President Kennedy. It was like uh, all the factions had lined up for something big to happen and take hold. And here came this band from England. Uh, it wasn't all timing. It was their brilliant songs and that they offered something completely different. Mm -hmm. And a, it just took seeing them on the Ed Sullivan show, frankly, for millions and millions of people to not care about anything in the world except what this band was going to do next. So, yeah, you're correct. It was unprecedented up to then to to have an audience with that kind of you know, tenacity uh, born so quickly. Uh, and I think that that's what's held the test of time is that uh, now e even a Taylor Swift, even a big name, it takes a while for it to catch on. The Beatles, it was an immediate thing. Absolutely. It was something like 73 million people tuned into that show to watch, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, reflective of what was going on was the the tremendous buildup to their arrival in the States on February the 7th, and their own surprise at seeing thousands of people, mainly a lot of teenage girls, that greeted them at uh, JFK Airport just shortly after they had landed. Even they were surprised about the turnout because they, not having been here, except I believe uh, George was the only one that had been to the States uh, several years prior, and all of a sudden, it was, as Dennis just said, it was this instant explosion of not only acceptance of them, but being there to greet them and then wanting to see more of them, hear more of them. And it just, it just well, as they said later on, it just got even crazier after that. Absolutely. Yeah. So my next question was that their performance on the Ed Sullivan show came very early on in their career. How did the early songwriting, such as like Please Please Me, differ from later records like Revolver or The White Album? They shifted, uh, they shifted from 
basically boy-girl themes, uh, love songs, covers of classic love songs, and, you know, things that uh, were in the mindset of a teenager. Um, and when they evolved during their evolution after, uh, say, the Help album, actually during Help is when they started using cannabis because Bob Dylan had turned them on to it. And there's no denying that the things kind of shifted after that. Revolver came out and uh, shocked a lot of fans in a good way because it was such a departure from the boy-girl themes and the love songs. It was it dealt with more serious uh, adult matters, um, you know how we feel as adults, and um, and and yeah, slightly tinged with a little drug haze here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's the simplest answer I can give you as to what the early. Uh, how the early songs and material contrast with the older material. Yeah. I mean, contrast with the later material. That's mm -hmm. what I should say. Yeah, no, I know. The shift, I know that Revolver was definitely the record that got me deeply into the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby and all oh, that. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for those who may not be familiar with Bob Eubanks, how is he connected to Beatlemania in the U.S. and bringing them to the Hollywood Bowl? Bob was a at that time a um, one of the mainstays of Top Forty Radio in Los Angeles. He was on KRLA in Pasadena. Uh, their biggest Top Forty competition at that time was KFWB, uh, referred to often as All Color Radio. I'm I'm not sure what that ever meant, but everybody had their own designation. Um, and Bob, of course, being a DJ, certainly aware that there was this new band. It was out of England. They were coming on strong uh, through their own uh, manager's heavy promotion coming to America. What caught his attention was when he learned that there had been 50,000 requests for the 700 seats in the Ed Sullivan show. And it was like the light went off for Bob and said, oh, my gosh, I got to figure out a way to get these guys out here. Uh, he did. And he became the promoter that brought them to the Hollywood Bowl the first time around and the second time around in 65. And then just to make it a little bigger place to put them, it was Dodger Stadium in 1966 as the Beatles were actually making I think that was their last tour. That was their last You know, tour. where they would be doing live shows. So uh, the Dodger Stadium concert was the second to last live performance. Mm -hmm. in uh, this, somewhere in, this country. in through there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, he, for him, and he had been a, a concert promoter and someone who had been booking acts into a place in uh, Pasadena called the Cinnamon Cinder, which mm -hmm. was a big hangout for teenagers, young adults. And he had all kinds of rock and roll acts that were being booked through that as well. So he was familiar with the process. But my guess is when he's talking on the ninth and telling people about this, I think we're going to be surprised at what he was up against in trying to get the Beatles into Los Angeles and Southern California. And more than likely, how much it was really going to cost. <laughs> so probably as a concert promoter, he was going to have to hit a pretty high mark in order to pay for him. Yeah, he mortgaged his home, that I heard. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yes. <laughs> Whatever it took. Whatever it took. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so how has it felt to see the legacy of the Beatles remain strong within multiple generations, especially with the release of the final Beatles song, Now and Then, and then events like 60 Years of Beatlemania? Of which we will be giving away a copy at the event on red vinyl. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you I think you, it boils, you know what it always boils down to? I get asked that a lot. And what it boils down to is the songs. Uh, you can have mop tops and style, uh, but without substance, and then it's just a magazine cover. Uh, it's because those songs had depth and meaning. Uh, they were complex. Even the simplest of Beatles songs. It's funny, in the in the uh, 60s, everybody had a garage band. There was an explosion of garage bands after the Beatles. But surprisingly, a lot of garage bands didn't play that many Beatles songs because they were hard. Yeah. You know, three chords for the seeds and a lot of Rolling Stone songs and stuff. Beatles songs were harder than they sounded like to play. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the depth of the songs and the genius of the songwriting that has lasted and 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 endured over all of these years. Uh, and I think that's why even the newer generations coming along with it, with the music we hear now, it's like, well, wait, that's something a little bit different. Even now. Yeah, I was um, 17, 18 in 1965, 66, and lucky enough to be working actually on air at a radio station while I was a senior in high school. Uh, you could do that back in those days. This, we're talking, you know, it's the mid-60s. Anybody can get on the air. And I just came across an old article, um, and this is while I'm still in high school, and in uh, 65, the number one song at that one particular moment was Yesterday, okay? And talk about a surprise, not only in tempo, but the fact that McCartney was solo mm -hmm. and the rest of the guys weren't on it. And at first people were going, where's the rest of the band? You know, you're so used to hearing that three-part or in some cases, maybe four-part harmony. Not to mention the, guitars. Guitars and <laughs> where are the drums and, right. you know, and all of this. And it was the number one song. And for some reason, uh, in the column in which I can't remember who was actually writing it in a little, it was called the teen section of the local newspaper. You know, they always had these little highlights for teens. And they were listing the top 10 songs for the week. And... They put on there, yesterday, the Beatles, and then in parentheses, the editor must have thrown this in. At last, a slow one. <laughs> I said, and I hadn't seen that since that. I just was, it I cracked me up yesterday when I when I pulled that out. But I, and I think that goes along with the the longevity of their music. I mean, yesterday became one of the most played songs, most covered songs, most as covered well. so in yeah. the world. I mean, and and he's right. I every time I've listened to it, I keep thinking it is a simple song. Yes, and and yet, simple songs don't necessarily have a sixty-year lifespan. There were a lot of simple songs that came out in the sixties or the fifties or the seventies. You don't hear them played anymore. No, yeah. but you yesterday know? lives on. Yeah. And it was uh, along those lines. I lived in a, a military household. Dad despised the Beatles. <laughs> yesterday was the first time he had to give it up. That's a good song. <laughs> oh, great. Super timeless and completely understandable why. Yeah, we, we should mention, too, that 
on that night when the Beatles were appearing on the Sullivan Show, there were lots of households across the country in which either mom, dad, or mom and dad said, you're not watching the Beatles. Wow. <laughs> and and we heard from kids at the time who snuck over to a friend's house and watched the Beatles on, on Sullivan. You know, and we look back on that and there was initially, I think there was always that something and Presley had it too. You know, are they go is this group going to turn my child into a juvenile delinquent mm -hmm. because they have long hair? Yeah, yeah. You, you got to go back to the era to really get yeah. the feel for that. Parents were afraid of them. Yeah. Just like they were afraid of Elvis to a degree. Yeah. yeah. Definitely a lot of parallels there. So my last question is just six years of Beatlemania celebration is happening Friday, February 9th at the Marjorie Luke Theater. Where can listeners find out more and get tickets? Uh, you can get tickets by going to buy and buy, that's B-I-E, buy and buy productions.com slash upcoming events. And they're right there online. They're $30 for advance and they'll be $40 at the door. So someone makes that last minute decision to show up on that Friday night, we will still have tickets for them. So you can also go to carpenteriavalleyradio.com. There's a graphic right there on the front page. Click it and it'll take you right to buy and buy productions. There you go. Oh, and really quick, what exactly is happening at the event? Well, we will, um, both Dennis and I will open up the show at around seven. And we have about a 15 to 20 minute presentation of various Beatle facts and going to talk about different things and how some people were affected by their arrival in the country. We've got a wonderful video with a, she was at 15 at the time and she actually went to JFK. And then of all things, she snuck into the Plaza Hotel to get up to the 12th floor to see the Beatles in their first press conference in this country. So we'll hear her story. We'll get some other stories from other people as well. We have some wonderful door prizes to give away. Then we will bring on Bob Eubanks, who will tell some pretty fascinating, seldom heard stories about working with the Beatles over those years that he did. And then right around eight o'clock, as close to what would be the time the Sullivan show was going to be shown at eight, we'll show the entire February 9th, 1964 show, of which you'll get some surprises in that, as well as complete with commercials. Yes. Which <laughs> Lipton iced tea. Which will make Pilsbury. you smile just yeah. like you did. You'll be sitting here going, uh my <laughs> yeah. you know, cold water all. Yes. Big deal at the time. Big deal. Uh and then following that we'll have uh, Bobby Finn and Dave, better known as BFD. They will take the stage for about a 45 to an hour long set of just acoustic set of just great Beatles songs. So We'll be able to tap our toes, sing along, because they love that. So, you know, it should be fun. And then after that, we'll close out the show with a, a little bit of a surprise at the end. We won't reveal that at the moment. Amazing. That's great to know. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts? I find it hard for myself to believe it's been 60 years since I sat down and watched the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Um, the decades have gone by pretty quickly. I imagine for them, as well as for me, 
would I have thought that I would still be wanting to listen to, purchase, have albums, play them again and again, buy them 60 years later? You know, when you're 18, 17, 16, and somebody says, well, you know, 60 years from now, you'll still be listening to Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's almost hard to comprehend that you'll be sharing that music with, in your case, perhaps with your children, then with your grandchildren, <laughs> okay, and still be playing that music. That's, I think, is is just absolutely astounding. It is. The Beatles themselves didn't think it would last more than a few years. They were constantly being asked, what are you going to do after this? And their answers were always like, oh, have a store or do some writing <laughs> or something. And with the, with the time frame being just a few years from now. I don't even think they knew because once you're inside of it, you, maybe you don't see it as clear a forest for the trees that what they were creating was so huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely forever. That's my final. There you go. Fab four forever. <laughs> yeah. Hard to comprehend. Well, sounds like an amazing experience to have. And yeah, it was lovely talking to you both and thank you for giving the time to discuss this. So thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You turn it, say Beatles and turn us on. We'll we'll go for an hour. See, and here's the beauty of it. It is 60 years later and you're listening to the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, in in many ways, it makes makes all the sense in the world and it makes absolutely no sense at all. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because I don't think in 1964, I would have been turned on to listening to the artists of the 1920s yeah. Or the 1930s, you know, recordings were different and, you know, things were a lot different. But all you had was basically at that time were all of the artists that mom and dad were listening to. Yes. So the Frank Sinatra's, the Tony Bennett's, Patty Page, um, you know, all of those. And of course, they were on TV on their variety shows and in one way or another. But it was all about the adults, except for Presley. Yeah. And your top 40 radio station that you would listen to on your transistor radio. But once the Beatles hit, everything changed. Broke the walls down. It yep. really did. And that what, what Ed went on to have the Rolling Stones, Dave Clark Five, yep. Yep. all these great bands on his show because he was ahead of the game. You know, yeah. it was a smart thing. He hated the music, but he was smart <laughs> yeah. enough to yeah. know what to do, you know. Yeah. Hey, if you're putting on a variety show, baby, yeah. you got to give the audience what they want. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because I think that lately I've, I see a lot of people, especially on, like young people on the internet who try to kind of go against the Beatles and like say that they're not as uh, influential as they were. They're, they're the most popular band of all time, arguably. So people kind of just say that's it. Say it that's, and... that's kind of inevitable, I think. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's jealousy too. I'll tell you a quick one. Uh, I was doing work in my studio in Las Vegas and my 16-year-old son came out one day and he had been into Eminem and just finding his own way musically. And, and I had heard he had touched on a, a few things I was familiar with, but he came out in the living room one day and said, it's just no fair, Dad. You guys got the Beatles. <laughs> One of the best days of my life. It really yeah. was. No, I agree with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and the, and the floodgates that they opened for other British artists to make that trip across the pond, that became the big thing. And especially for the Stones, um, you know, that... Oh, and a million other groups. Yeah, and a million other groups. I mean, you can go through it, you know, solo artists as well as as bands. 
And and while we, you know, we called it the British invasion, um, but it was so much more than that. And it opened up the opportunities for all kinds of artists. You've got Eric Clapton and you mm-hmm. you yeah. got all of those folks that were right on the brink of breaking out, but it was going to take something of a of a bigger shot on the radio in the UK. And once it traveled to America, you know, suddenly you had millions and millions more. And then of course, and then they that just spurred, went worldwide. That spurred an explosion of American bands yeah. who wanted to sound like the Beatles. Yeah. And and we were all richer for it. It really yeah. was. It just made radio a wonderful place to be. Yeah. I really want to see at least Hall or Ringo before, you know, it's too late. Hall's and- coming this year. I, yeah. I would bet he's going to be at SoFi uh, at some point. Uh, that's yeah. my best guess. Yeah, and Ringo starts up again in June. And that's one of the most fun shows you'll ever see. Ringo's great. Yeah, I think Ringo was playing the Greek like last year. My friend and yeah. I had to go. There you go. Yeah, I've but, seen yeah. him many but, times. It's always but, a fun, you know, fun show. You know, Robles, too, which would be a great place to see a show. I haven't been there in Paso. Oh, I, I saw uh, a show there last year. I saw Elvis Costello there. And um it's a wonderful uh, arena that is very, it's almost a carbon copy of the Santa Barbara Bowl, but it's located in this terrible place to get in and out of. You can't walk to it. Uh, the Uber drivers gouge you. There are logistical problems with it, but the hall itself is great. You just have to do a little preparation. And yeah, I saw Ringo played there and I was, I was kicking myself because I didn't know about the show. I would have gone. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, th- those venues are just fantastic. And and he hasn't announced um, West Coast yet because the last tour was mostly West Coast. Yeah. So I don't know if he'll be coming this year. Uh, frankly, I just know he's touring. And Paul hasn't announced just yet, but keep yeah. your eyes open. That show you don't want to miss. Definitely. Love to see that. In, that. in that first show, the Beatles were on. It's the other acts that are just so sorely tested trying to please almost 700 teenage girls in that audience. And they were only there to see the Beatles. (laughs) The politeness of the girls when the other acts are on, but for the comedians that tried to sell their, you know, their punchlines, everything was just falling flat Yeah, because it was mostly teenagers and not adults. In the audience. Now, if you want something fun, really, um, watch uh, the subsequent two weekends of appearances when uh, Alan Rossi came on. Oh, yeah, and, that's right. And Mitzi Gaynor, and it was done in Miami. Those were a little wilder, a little more loose. I mean, the audience was way into it, and the band was, like I said, a little more loose because they had already done a couple. Check those out sometime, and you'll be you'll be thrilled. Yeah. Oh, cool. So the early Beatles interviews, you, you, we would Google? No, no. Uh, the two other appearances on the Ed Sullivan show. There's the oh. first one, February 9th. Oh, they were I see. also on the 16th and 23rd. Yeah. And oh, my gosh. The, Three the one on the row. 23rd was in Miami. Or, wow. or, no, actually, the second week was Miami, and the third week was a, was it had been recorded. Pre-recorded. So, yeah, the second week in Miami is the stuff of legend. I mean, and that place held, what, 2,000 people? I, I think, think so. It was much huge, bigger audience. Everybody's yeah. sweating. It was in Florida. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I don't know if it was the the Fountain Blue. It might I can't remember the, the, name. the what one the Doville Doville the Doville Hotel. Okay, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Th- that I highly recommend. You can probably probably find that on YouTube. But that's like I said, the, the Ed Sullivan show is historic, and and you're filled with awe. This is where you see them just really 
blasting and giving it their all. And it's like, uh, there's just less tension, you know, it's a lot more fun. How fun. So my mom, <laughs> when I was a baby, my, we, uh, the neighbor kids had a band and they wore the Beatles wigs. My mom remember. <laughs> there you go. For those that they did back then. <laughs> That's what we're saying at the event. Beetle wigs are optional and beetle oh. boots as well. Oh you know. my God. Yeah. That is funny. It's going to be a fun night. It is. Thanks yeah. Absolutely. We're looking forward to it big time.